Hello everybody and welcome back to the I Want to Go Home podcast. Today I'm joined by a friend of mine, Daisy Maloney. She's an actress based in London and today we're going to be talking about her experiences within theatre and TV. First question basically is, how did you get into acting? My sister was a child actress. Um, she worked on a very big TV show and I saw her do it and I immediately knew that's what I wanted to do. Uh, Coincidentally, my mum also worked in TV all of her life and my sister ended up working in TV. I did my first acting class, I think I must have been like four or five and I just knew it all just clicked and it made sense. Um, I just never wanted to be a musical theatre actor which is what they tend to push kids into. Uh, but I watched Disney Channel and I was like, that, I want that. And I, I will do whatever it takes to get that. Amazing. That's, that's cool, that is. <laughs> Fell into TV because of my sister. My sister um, is a production manager and she was working at ITV for a few years and now she works for a smaller production company. She's currently working on a NASA documentary um, but because she signed an NDA, I can't give you any information about what that includes. Just that astronauts are involved, obviously. Um, but I fell into TV because of her. I was at uni and I was studying and I was trying to see which part of theatre I wanted to go into. Or if I even wanted to do that at all. Because there was a moment I went, I'm not sure if this field is right for me because there's so much judgment about how you look with TV and film and theatre, especially as an actor, it's very much about how you look. There's no point in going to an audition if you don't fit that character type. So for a moment I had a wobble and I went, I don't know if I necessarily want to do this. And I tried stage management and I tried costume. Um, Both things I absolutely loved, but you don't get the same kind of rush obviously doing it but it fell into tv and i hated the egotistical wankers that work in tv (laughs) and the narcissists and the everyone is either an asshole to you or they're really nice but they're never going to get anywhere which is such a horrible thing to say but it's so true of everyone you work with especially things like directors and producers and stuff in tv are the most horrible people and they treat people like dirt but if you are one of those people that's uber uber nice like casting and stuff normally your career doesn't go very far and i remember working with the casting producer from harry potter at one point with him on this itv production and it wasn't until afterwards when i was like oh have you done anything before i just thought he was like the stand-in itv casting guy and he was like oh yeah I did five of the Harry Potter films and I was like oh cool cool, cool." and he was like yeah and we had a discussion about it and he was like it's because I didn't want to be an arsehole my career took a massive dive because I didn't want to go this person looks ugly or that person needs bigger tits or like especially with things like Love Island as you can imagine yeah they're the worst not a fan of that show not a fan no, I'm not either. And 
working on it felt like I was a slave to D-list actors. Well, not actors, celebrities that thought they were A-list. And it kind of makes you feel really stupid about the whole celebrity thing in general. You go, what classes as a celebrity? This whole clout idea. Oh, yeah. Um, which you'll get with like TikTok, obviously. Because yeah. you have TikTok clout. Do I? I don't I don't think so. A teeny tiny bit. Yeah, a teeny like, teeny tiny bit. But like in the real world, that doesn't equate yeah. to anything. Which I feel like Love Island stars don't seem to get that because you're on Love Island doesn't make you special. Yeah. You're on a TV show. You know, it's obviously like a difference. Yeah, it's like me going, Helen Mirren, you, but like, big difference. Yeah, huge difference. Like, yeah, because um, I've, no, because I see people on TikTok and they just, sometimes they give off the vibe that because they do have a, a, a large, like, um, fans and they, they think that they are, like, better than people. Because um, mm. you, like, you watch some people and, and you can just tell. Very much get a vibe that they think that they're uber famous and like they think that they're like God's gift to the people. And you're like, you did a 15 second dance on an app that no one really cares about. We all just kind of watch at 2am when we're bored. Because yeah. We're outside. So like, yeah. it's not special. Um, I think everyone is so obsessed with becoming TikTok famous now. That is true. That is, yeah. Um, you know, it, it started with Vine, and then it was like Twitch, and now it's TikTok. Everyone wants to be on it. I went um, Vine famous when I was like 15, and my mum made me shut down my account because <gasps> overnight I started getting death threats. Oh. And my mum was like, I, I don't understand why you've put yourself through this. Why, why do you keep this up? just delete it and I was like no I'm vine famous I'm gonna be massive it's gonna be awesome and she was like but what's the point if you're gonna get upset about a stranger on the internet telling you that you should kill yourself because you're not funny like you're a child these things are not okay to say to a literal child um I think that also applies a bit to tiktok as well yeah yes definitely the term influencer is thrown about way too much. People think that because they get over 10,000 followers on something, they're an influencer. And I'm like, no, that means that you make some kind of big impact. You're not, no one cares. Yeah, no one cares if you make some dancing videos. It's like, oh yeah, I'm an influencer, how? Um, and then then does the, does the WAP, like you're not an influencer. I think it's becoming more and more of a thing that, especially with like Instagram and TikTok and, everything people will get to like 30,000 and be like I'm an influencer and I'm like no you just have a following and that's fine that's great good for you that doesn't make a genuine difference in your life unless you're making huge brand deals out of this which even then isn't gonna last more than three years maybe because you're not gonna be famous past then people are gonna get bored people are gonna move on to the next one it's not a big deal to be an influencer. And I've never understood the appeal. When was your first like um, acting class? I was really, really little. I must have been like four or five. 
I lived up the road uh, from a stage school and my parents just sheltered me in for it. And my teacher absolutely hated me. I made his life a living hell uh, because I was basically a mini Rachel Berry. (laughs) (laughs) And he hated me for it, but at the same time he knew that that's what I wanted and that's why I was a bit precocious, but yeah. Especially for your documentary, I feel like it's very prominent to talk about how if you start in this industry from a young age, how sexualized you are quite a lot, especially as a woman. I feel like it's incredibly prominent. And I feel like um, I feel like that's a massive part of why I wanted to take a break for a little while. And I'm not sure if I wanted to continue of from the get go. It's about how you look. And as a kid, it's about how cute you can be and how innocent looking and are you chocolate box looking type. Like- What's that mean? Oh, it's a cliche term for like, do you have big doe eyes and long hair and are you pretty with a nice soft voice that we can use for like general adverts, that type. Oh yeah. But then once you get to a teenager, it's very much of how quirky and different can you be, but also don't alter anything about you because if it's permanent, we can't use you for anything. So don't get tattoos, don't get piercings, don't dye your hair. Because the second you dye your hair, you have to get your headshots redone, your whole showreel redone. Um, But then the second you turn like 18, it's eased up a bit more now, but when I was a kid, it's very much like, how big are your breasts? How big is your bum? Like, are you gonna fit into this? How sexual can we make you? Are you willing to do nudity? Is that okay? Sex scenes, making out with people. It's all very intense. Yeah. I. I bet it is. Yeah, it's pretty startling as well. I, because um, I, I watch films about it, and I thought it's this film industry is a nice place, but then I hear stories about it, and it's far from it. So then, after you, you was on stage and all that, um, you, you got into actual TV. So mm-hmm. how long have you been into like t- the TV and film industry? Um, I took a massive break. Uh, because of the pandemic and everything. But I'd say properly since I was about 18, on and off, because of things like uni and stuff. Um, I did quite a lot behind the camera for a few years, because I thought that's what I may want to pursue. Uh, so only in the recent year or two, I've started going back into normal TV and film. You wrote and starred and also directed a, a, um, a show it. right <laughs> all of it the whole thing and produced everything yeah I did that for my final piece at uni um we were told that we had to create our own piece and whether we did that in groups or on our own and at the time um I didn't get along with many people on my course and the one group that I wanted to work with wanted to do a very dystopian out there piece, which I wasn't really up for. So I went, fuck it, I want to do this. And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it properly. And I wrote mine overnight. And I loved it. 
and I performed it in front of my lecturer and she went, I absolutely love this. Keep everything, don't change a thing. Keep the costume, keep the idea. It's funny, it's different, it's dystopian. And then when I performed it six months later, people were like, you didn't change anything. I was like, no, because that's what I wanted and it worked. Um, and I wanted to take it to Edinburgh Fringe, but unfortunately, everything going on. Oh, that would be amazing. I yeah. could see you there, because I was about to go there as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to Edinburgh. Oh, that would be really crazy. Um, if it ever happens, I'll, I'll give yeah. you an open invite. Yeah, good. <laughs> I, I would love to see that, I would. Um, so what roles have you had in TV and film? Uh, so I did mainly smaller stuff for TV and film. It's theatre that I've done bigger parts. Um, but TV-wise, I was behind the camera quite a bit. I worked on very big productions like Love Island and uh, Five Guys a Week and things like that. But part-wise acting, not massive. But a part is a part. And steady yeah. work is all you can ask for right now. So... Um... What, um, what parts have you had on stage? Uh, so I did West End as a teenager and I was part of the Royal Shakespeare Company and I did a mini tour with them. So I did Othello, I did a one-off of Trial of Macbeth with a couple of different celebrities, I did things like that. Um, just a bit of everything. And then I joined um, West End Kids. They're a famous dance troupe in London, a musical theatre performers and they do massive productions every year. I was part of them and Sylvia Young Theatre School. So I was involved in helping the training processes of big musicals that were on stage, like Billy Elliot and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, stage-wise, dabbled in a bit of everything. Amazing, brilliant. How has COVID-19 affected you and your work? And as in work, I mean, um, your like acting. Well, weirdly enough, I got scouted in the middle of the pandemic, uh, which boosted my career, obviously, because it meant that all these auditions were now coming in that weren't before, but also meant that everything's over Zoom, uh, which kind of makes your acting a bit blocky. It's kind of hard to give a genuine performance over a laptop. Um, Whereas where you're in a room with people, it's a bit easier to give genuine emotions and talk to them and be part of it. Uh, also because everything's been canceled, you can't even have people from different households in a building. So lots of things that were filming aren't filming um, and things that I have got parts for, I have to now really consider if it's worth it because I have to now not only risk my own safety, but a room of maybe 30 other people and then my entire household. So everything's just in this weird limbo at the yeah. moment. And then, um, so after this is all over, like, you know, um, the, the um, pandemic, do you think you'll get back into it? Like, um, into the acting? Definitely. I think, yeah, um, I think maybe not as not as much as I was before because there's still going to be an impact even after lockdown is fully over um but I definitely think that 
now that I can pursue auditions properly once it's all over? Yes, 100%. Um, and depending on whether or not I sign with another agency that I'm in talks with, I may pursue other things that are similar, but not acting. Yeah. Well, that's all my questions done, but I, I feel like I need to talk to you more. I, that's weird. It's not even six o'clock and we're already done. Oh my God. Um, no worries. Okay, now, now, now I need to think. So what did I, so um, there was a thing going around called Safety Arts, yeah. So I, I, I want to talk about that in the, um, the documentary, but I don't know what to talk about it, you know, if, if that makes any sense. Mm, well, Rishi originally made a statement of retrain, uh, rethink, like yeah. go into a different field basically. And um, I read it and I am in a different field currently. I currently work at a COVID testing center. Um, and that's why I currently have the freedom to be able to see some of my friends and do little parts and stuff of filming because I get tested twice a week. Um, and I changed it. And then I thought I'm working for a government job that not only helps the economy, it helps the people. It does exactly what he asked. And I'm working 13 hours. I get a one hour break and I am on my feet. And I just thought, so I gave up something that I was passionate about. doesn't always pay the best. For this, is that necessarily what he was after because this is hell i've now got to do this for like seven or eight months at least looking at the way the pandemic yeah because yeah, like, yeah. all these jobs that they want us to have aren't the jobs that we want and then the jobs they do want are the ones that are saying that like um they are what's the word um unrealistic oh. yeah um and yeah there was also the thing of when they made that post, they didn't think through the fact that firstly, they took that picture from the photographer without his permission of copyright, which is illegal for starters. The ballerina herself had no kind of like discussion with them about her involvement in this because the picture had been taken before years ago. Also things like, to be able to produce that picture, you need a performer, a photographer, a graphic designer, an editor, things like that, that all work in the creative arts, which doesn't necessarily make sense as a concept. They went, let's use a piece of art to make the statement that you shouldn't be using art, but it's the only way people have logistically like made it through an entire pandemic without things like, books and theatre, TV, film, all of it, we would have all gone into mayhem by now. Yeah, it's on the streets. Absolute madness. Um, the Save the Arts campaign is an amazing idea, but I think until politicians like Rishi can get behind us and back us, because I know we're not the most economically viable, that this whole field right now is gripping on. And I don't know if necessarily in the next few years it's gonna make it through. I think lots of theatres and things are gonna shut down. I think lots of TV shows are gonna get canceled. Um, I think 
it's majorly going to be things like books and things that survive this kind of impact. Yeah. So I just yeah. branded away at you there. No, it's fine. It's brilliant. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Using a position of power, how would you save the arts? Personally, uh, local theatre should be encouraged to put on smaller performances because uh, smaller venues, so not as many people, uh, you can put on productions, they can be socially distanced, um, not necessarily have to be, to be honest, if you did a production like Othello, there's less than 10 people necessarily, you could do it with, which works. Um, I feel like that's a good starting point is getting local theatres to push themselves, get people involved, get money back out there. Um, open air productions need to start happening. They've already proven that if you're singing on stage, it's no more harmful than talking. Um, so big open air productions could definitely be a thing. Um, I don't think it's acceptable that you can go to a football match in a massive stadium but you can't sit in a theatre because yeah. to me, the same kind of space. Um, so I think also things like more performances in open air spaces, like, um, like you sometimes have, but the opening of the Olympics, that kind of thing, a similar kind of performance that could be encouraged by bigger artists, help fund it. Um, there is so much, <laughs> there is so, so much. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin, but I think um, the starting point would be encouraging smaller artists to push themselves and not retrain, instead try and find a way around it, like open air spaces and things like that. Um, especially with um, people like you that, that are involved in more TV and film type work. Um, yeah. Filming is a lot easier to do than yeah, it is yeah yeah than a performance on stage. Like you could all wear masks. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's 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 easy. It's very easy. Exactly. So, like yeah. short film artists should be encouraged. Bigger t TV and film productions, as long as people are getting tested regularly, there shouldn't be an issue of people filming. Lots of things are still filming at the moment for Netflix. Um, but like. So much. There's so much, especially since when kids go back to school, they're definitely going to cut the arts. Yeah, as... and that's how sad I think that is. They, they try to make it that it's because theatre isn't viable and it doesn't bring up, like, bring in enough money, but it brings in billions to the economy. Yeah. Year. The music industry alone is something ridiculous, like 13 billion each year minimum for the UK. I understand their viewpoint of right now, the arts isn't, isn't a priority. Yeah. I get that. I get that getting theatre back on isn't going to be their first thought. But I think encouraging people to still get involved in the arts where they can would be better than telling people to just give up on it. Yeah. Because the, um, there are people who, like, their whole lives are, are the arts. Like, I'm spending so much money to just, um, just, just to study film. So if I gave up now, what, it'd be like a waste. 
Well, like the whole advert with Fatima, you have to logistically think that ballerinas start before the age of five. And like most ballerinas start at like three or four and train right up until their twenties to become a professional to then be told to join cyber security. It's not even like a logical jump. If they do turn around and go and become a dance teacher or maybe use your craft in like another athletic field. But I, I don't know why someone would train the best part of 20 years of their life to then work an office job. I understand with the pandemic, it's an incredibly difficult time for everyone and economically we're about to go under like we're about to hit the biggest recession that we have seen practically a depression um and their viewpoint right now is just getting people to get office jobs because if you work an office job you can work from home which means you're still benefiting the economy but you're not interacting with people which makes sense but the way that they've gone about it is very classist. Like they funded the ballet the entire time of the pandemic. And if you think about it on average, how many people in their lifetime go to a ballet? Like go and see the ballet? I have no idea. <laughs> exactly. Like <laughs> yeah. you are middle class or upper class, never, never. You'll never go to the ballet in your entire life. Because you don't go, oh, well, as a Christmas gift to everyone, let's all go to the ballet at five, six hundred pound a ticket. Let's all just go see the Nutcracker. Like, no. You're, <laughs> you're obviously going to go for like a musical or theatre or like go watch a film. But logistically, yeah. because they're all middle class and upper class, they were like, the ballet needs to be saved. And everyone was like, does it? <laughs> How much economically does this benefit our society? It's ballet. Exactly, yeah. So right now you're working for the um, NHS, right? In the COVID testing. Yep. Before that, you was an actor, but then that had to go and stop. So we basically covered everything I want to talk about now. Okay, cool. Right. Oh, thank you for this. This is amazing. What I, this has made no, my, my whole term, my whole year. This is amazing, actually. I love it. <laughs> All of those speakers, wanna... you saw me on Twitter. It's like, oh, I, I know you from somewhere. I love this. <laughs> um, if you ever want to ask any questions, feel free to. My inbox is always open. This is, thank you so much. I, even, I can't breathe. Oh, my God. This is amazing. <laughs> Don't worry. Right. Have a good evening. I will talk to you later. Diog, everybody were listening. I've been your host, Charlie Grayson, joined by Daisy Maloney, and this has been I Want to Go Home. And if I don't see you, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.